It's been about a year since Eric Schmidt was elected as Missouri state treasurer, and he's been busy during that time focusing not only on state fiscal matters, but also the federal tax overhaul. The Republican joins us next on Politically Speaking to talk about his 11 months in office and a whole lot more. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Rosenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor. And I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to Politically Speaking, the only show about Missouri politics that approves of men wearing red sport coats. <laughs> I am that host, Jason Rosenbaum, the uh, interim political editor for St. Louis Public Radio, and, and I, I approve of red sport coats, but all my sport coats are blue. Joining me in studio today is... It's Joe Manis, but you got that plaid thing you wear all the time. <laughs> I do. And, and joining us for the record-setting fifth time, a man that actually employs somebody who used to wear a red sport coat on the floor of the Missouri Senate. He still does wear a red sport coat to the office. Uh, Eric Schmidt, state, current state treasurer. And by the way, uh, for people that are confused, we are alluding to former Senator uh, uh, David Pierce, who is now part of the state treasurer's staff. He just joined Twitter today, even though he, he spent an entire legislative lifetime staying away from social media. And today was a huge milestone. December 7th. Yes, the, the day that will live in infamy. I think I think he'll just stalk people. I'm not sure how active he'll be, but uh, we use with with David. It is appropriate to call it the Twitter machine the for Twitter someone like David. Yeah. Well, well, the former senator is seriously one of the nicest people I've ever encountered in Missouri politics, and I'm glad to see that he is continuing his public service in your office. So, yep. you've been in office now. Uh, for 10 months, 11 months. I, I'm, I'm losing track of time here. Maybe 11 months. Yep. January so, 9th. So yeah. so obviously a lot has happened since then, to put it mildly. Um, but I don't know if everybody has paid super close attention to the treasurer's office because it often gets overshadowed by the governor's office, the attorney general's office. The lieutenant governor does all sorts of things that are crazy. But I've always argued it's one of the more important statewide offices because it's responsible for some very vital things that we're going to get into. Including the state's investments. Mm -hmm. So I want to know, just uh, before we get into specific issues, some of the, the highlights of the past 11 months. Sure. it's uh, Constitutionally, yeah, it does have a lot of powers um, delegated to the office. And so if you think of um, the, the statewide office statewide offices as a board of directors, you really operate as the CFO. Um, you have a board, of, you have a CEO, you have a lawyer, you have a secretary of state. Um, we're not really sure what the lieutenant governor actually does. I'm kidding, Mike Parson, if you're listening. Um, he bangs the gavel. That's right. And, but, he, and yeah, he tries fruitlessly to break uh, filibusters, but, right. but continue. But no, so we kind of serve in the role of, of CFO and, and protecting taxpayers and supporting small businesses and empowering individuals and families is really kind of at the core of what we do. But um, we serve on the, the Mosier's board, and I know we'll probably talk about uh, pensions coming up. 
Um, we kind of the state's banking investment functions, unclaimed property. There's almost a yes. billion dollars of unclaimed property that we're sort of the custodian of that we try to get back to people. And we've in this first year already returned over forty million dollars to people, which is kind of a fun job. In government, most people are taking things away by compulsion. Um, we act, we give checks to people. You know, you can be like Ed McMahon showing up at someone's door. It's I, great. I think so. your predecessor uh, Clint's wife will also said something similar. How fun it was to return. Yeah, my husband property. has some stock that he still needs to claim that's in some I'm serious. Really? Yeah. Well serious. I think it, it might range between twenty five and fifty dollars if you check the website. Yeah. Showmemoney.com, Joe. We may have done a little bit of research before we came here. There is money out there. Yeah, because so. I've been after him to, to, I'm serious <laughs> because he's got some stock from something and uh it's it's in the treasury we have office. it we have it is when we moved like 30 years ago somehow it ended up it's amazing so that usually it's like that it's you know a bank account or a final paycheck or something but a couple months ago there was a family in St. Charles that had $3000 come into them and so it can it helped them pay a lot of bills that were yeah. that were due and change their lives but yeah so we do that um, you know the three point eight billion dollar portfolio. That's kind of the day to day functions, and then we have sort of the the programs that we're in charge of administering. Um, we've got the we launched the Missouri Able program, which we're very proud of. Um, three years ago, actually, this week. Now, what is it exactly? Yeah, Congress. It's it, it stands for Achieving a Better Life Experience, Able. And so what it did was allowed states to set up a, um, uh, accounts. Essentially, people can establish accounts um, in their state that allow them to put money away for the long-term needs of a loved one with a disability like they would for college. So like with a 529 college savings account, you can put money in, you can deduct those contributions from your taxes, and whatever grows in that account over time, you're not taxed on when you use it then for a qualified expense. And so for ABLE accounts, it's assistive technology, retrofitting your home, equipment, services, all, uh, housing, transportation, all that stuff. Uh, so it's really important. So we, we went into a partnership with a number of other states. It's the lowest cost, best plan. We launched that. It's personal to me. I mean, I have a son, who, Stephen, now, um, who is really my inspiration to get into uh, to run for office in the first place back nine years ago or whenever that was. Um, and so, you know, understanding uh, those challenges, knowing a lot of those families across the state, it's a, it's a personal passion of ours. And so we're really kind of um, forging a path here as – the standard bearer for this program. I co-chair now um, with the treasurer from Illinois, actually, um, the uh, the ABLE committee, so the national co-chair of that committee, and we're doing everything we can to get the word out. Um, it's a great program that allows people to, to save for those long-term needs that they know are coming. So now, that, Yeah, I know that's a serious topic, but I do want to ask in, in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, who's taller? He's you, taller. He's unbelievable. Taller so I am the uh, tallest statewide yeah, elected official exactly. in the history of the great state of Missouri. That's but I went I to my first NAST meeting and I was not the tallest treasurer I in the country. I can't believe that. Who He's 6'8". Is... And, and what's the, what's his name again? Michael Frerichs. Yeah, I, I, I knew six... who he was. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I just knew that he got elected treasurer before you and he was extremely tall. Yeah, I should have said allegedly to give me a little room that maybe if <laughs> If he's wearing boots and he's not. But, no, he's taller. But it's interesting. The Oregon treasurer is tall. There's like a – you could have a basketball team. with the, the, There's wow. some height in the treasurer's and, office. And I'm, as we talk, talked about in the elevator, I'm an Illinois native. So when you did a press conference about how bad Illinois was doing, <laughs> it, it hit a little bit close to home. Is, this, is the state treasurer's office there one of the things that Illinois is doing right? Or is that so I like, like mired in corruption too? I, I like Mike. But, uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we had the, the hashtag don't be like Illinois in front of the Eads Bridge. 
which, by the way, I had some friends from college that texted me that you know live in Chicago were saying, "Why are you on my local news, harassing us in our state?" Um, but my wife's from Illinois. My wife's from Galesburg, Illinois, the site of a Lincoln Douglas debate, and. Yes. Um, um, and where Carl Sandburg was actually born. So we were up there for Thanksgiving, and I'm happy to report back that most of her family agrees with me that the state is just in a terrible position. A lot of that actually is the pensions. is dri- They're driving that kind of fiscal crisis there. So they raise taxes essentially to deal with their this challenges. This is the state The pension. state of Illinois. Okay, so you want to talk a little bit about, because I've got a couple other issues I want to ask you about, but talk about how that compares with Missouri's state pension. Sure. So Missouri, um, yeah, and then we can probably maybe circle back even on the 529 and some of the yeah. other stuff. Yes, I definitely want to But about we've that. got, um, you know, in Missouri, so uh, we have a number of p- pension systems, um, the teachers, for example. I'm not on that board, but the state board, the Mosier's board, which is deals with state employees, um, you know, it's a it's a $12 billion. We have $12 billion in liability and $8 billion essentially in assets. So we're 60% funded. In 2000, that system was 100% funded. So what's happened over time is um, with the, the, it's underperformed. They have, they've kind of kicked this can down the road. They've assumed rates of return as high as 8.5% and weren't coming close. They were using mortality tables that were from the 1970s. So, people, yeah. so you add all that together, right, with unreasonable rates of return, people actually living longer than you're betting that they will, we have now, um, a, and we wrote an op-ed very early on in the Kansas City Star saying this is a pension crisis that is on the horizon, and, and it's a fiscal crisis. And it's no longer on the horizon. It's at our doorstep. It is the number one, you know, if you listen to rating agencies, it is the number one risk to our AAA bond rating, the fact that it's 60% funded. And if you get those assumptions in line, which we're working to do, it's more like 50% funded. We have the seventh highest investment fees in the country. So there's a lot of work to do on that board, and we're, we're playing a part. Now, so now before we say anything else on this okay. issue, I do need to make a disclaimer, as we did when we had both of the treasurer candidates on, that as UMSL employees, we are part of the state pension, so this is not an issue where we are uninterested observers. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, although I try to, yes. Um, although I want to emphasize the radio station is primarily private-funded, our donors out there. <laughs> Correct. Thank you. But thank when, you, we're, thank you, when thank we're talking you. about the state pension, I do think it's fair to our listeners to mention that this is not an issue where we are, again, uninterested observers. Go okay, ahead. So, so looking at it from that standpoint, what needs to be done, uh, do you think, or what they're looking at as far as ways to strengthen the pension program? And, of course, you have the liabilities for the people who, already, who are already retired. Yeah, so... You know, I was um, back in I was in the Senate back in 2011, 2010, when um, uh, we worked on some uh, the first kind of pension reform initiative that had been around in a long time, which was new hires would pay in four percent. And if you think about it in a nutshell, I mean, those employees now sort of the post 2010 employees, um, it's not really a pay as you go. But that contribution for new employees certainly does. um, um make those it doesn't exacerbate the the liability issue i mean really that that was gonna be my question i mean with all the state employees that are paying into the pension system why are we in such a bad situation and i'm sure you're going to explain that yeah so if if you think about it um if you underperform every year by a long shot of what you say you're going to earn by way of investment returns and then what you actually earn the gap grows between 
the people that you have to pay, right, you've made these promises to and they're retired, um, the checks going out the door and then the money that's coming in. And the other thing is, I think a lot of people, they didn't want to go to the legislature and say, this is what the employer payment is. The problem with that is ultimately taxpayers are on the hook. So you have to get out in front of this. So we're not, you know, to get back to the hashtag, don't be like Illinois. We're not in that situation. Or Kentucky, for example. Kentucky's 13 percent funded. There's time to get out in front of this. One of the things that we did this year that I felt was an innovative way that the board, you know, and the the legislature, to their credit, did was to say to offer a voluntary buyout to folks if they wanted to, instead of waiting till they retire to receive the benefits, they could cash out now, essentially. And that's going to save, and that closed on November 30th, and we're just now getting the numbers. Um, It saved, you know, it took basically $90 million off the books, which is again. Now, what does that mean yeah. exactly? Sorry. So people who will they sort of opted they opted for the cash buyout as opposed so they they'll get their money now that they would have been now it's discounted it's discounted at sixty percent it's basically sixty percent of what you'd have got if you waited till your and, you know retirement and, age and that was going to be my question so if let's say you retire by sixty five and you get a eight hundred dollar a month pension from the state and you live until you're ninety five. Why would you ever even consider taking a buyout when you're basically giving up potentially tens of thousands of dollars of your pension? I, I no, it's but and it wasn't. It was again. It was totally voluntary. And I understand and we had it's a bunch voluntary, of, but I can't even I can't even understand why you would even suggest to somebody that they take. That well, you offer. might take the position that I can, if I take the money now, I can put it in my four hundred one k and outperform Mosher's. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's what some claim. Although, frankly, if you look at you know, well, Mosher's has per, not percentages. It's yeah, not very good anywhere. Hasn't done well in the last few years. But it, but look, these pensions you're you, you need to look at it in the long term. But there, you know, we're making some changes. I mean, the actuary that had been used for years with some of these numbers, they're no longer advising uh, the board. It's a new board. Um, you know, the governor has made some new appointments. I feel like, you know, Sarah Steelman, who was a state treasurer, is commissioner of OA. She's on that board. So I think there's some momentum. It's a, it's a good board to kind of change the direction, be more forward thinking. Because like I said, this is the single biggest threat to our AAA bond rating. If you don't fund that system or something really bad happens to it, it affects a lot of things. And not just, by the way, what the state does, but when school districts go out to bond. I mean, all this, that right. affects everybody. So it's a really important issue that that we're you know taking the lead on. And so I, I think, again, this is one of those issues, though, that I don't view as a partisan issue. Like you, people kind of take off their red and blue jerseys and you try to get people to the table and say, what are the best ideas? Because there's red states and blue states that are all dealing with this. And in many ways, some of the blue states that found themselves in some of these challenging positions earlier are doing some innovative things out there. Oregon, for example, is selling some state buildings and paying down some of the the unfunded. So there's a bunch of things to look at, and we want to be thoughtful about that and then come forward with a plan that um, ultimately um, provides some stability. So I'm going to ask a question that may or may not make any news, but I know that the previous Moser's board hired John Watson to be executive director, and I've been hearing some grumbling especially since the Board of Education situation, that there is a feeling that John Watson did not have the financial or investment experience to take this job. I want to know... Yeah, if you need to explain who John Watson, John Watson is. is John Watson is Governor Jay Nixon's longtime chief of staff. He actually was state auditor briefly yes. um, while uh, Nicole Galloway mm-hmm. was being chosen. And 
I'm not saying that he's unqualified by any means to run a major state government agency because he clearly ran the governor's office. But I've been hearing in retrospect that there's feeling he didn't have the specific experience dealing with finance or pensions to do this particular job. You're part of the Moser's board now. Is there any discussion about possibly replacing him in the next few months? Yeah, we're doing a national search. Um, we're going to do a national search for an executive director. Really? Yeah. yeah. And um, and uh, so Watson knows this. Yep. Yep. And uh, so that's kind of the direction that we're headed in. Um, and uh, we want to find out um, who's out there. And and um, and John could apply. Um, that's certainly a possibility. But um, but yeah, John's his you know his contract is up next summer, and so this gives us some time to. Um, to deal with that particular issue. I I know you weren't a member of the Moser's board when he was hired, but do you feel it was a mistake for him to be put in that position? You know, all I can do is say that I think where where we've been um, the last few years as far as like what we've assumed that what we're going to get and um, uh, what what are these assumptions that have been plugged in, um, it's been a disservice. And I think the, the days of kind of sugarcoating this problem are over. I mean, I think people genuinely appreciate just being open and honest about the gravity of the problem. Because I think, look, if you can plug in all these rosy assumptions all you want and mask the problem, but it's still there. So what I want to get to, and I think what other board members really want to get to is, how can we bring those assumptions in line with reality and let the chips fall where they may? Because when you bring that assumed rate of return from eight into the sixes, um, it, it reveals in many ways the true nature of the problem. And it just sort of is what it is. And then, you know, the ask from the legislature goes up. I mean, we're going to have, you know, $400 million of the payments. It's going to be $600 million of the payments. So when people wonder, it's, it's not an issue that's sort of front of mind. Um, it, it's not, you know, and I've been there the, in the Senate, in the House. They're worried about issues that are sort of right in front of them. What's the bill that's addressing a particular issue? But this is kind of the nuts and bolts stuff that I believe our office has to be focused on and keep on the front burner and be responsible, be, listen to people. What are the best ideas? And try to bring those forward to address this. Because if you, fic- if you get this right 10 or 15 years from now, the state will be in a much better fiscal position. And um, I think some of the decisions that were made in the 90s on pensions and some other things um, have, didn't have an immediate impact, but 15, 20 years later they do. And guess what? It's 20 years later. So I want to know, uh, and this is probably longer than we were expecting to talk about in pensions, but that's pretty major news that you just mentioned. Are you going to be looking for someone with specific pension and financial experience and, and not necessarily somebody with like with John Watson, who had political connections, essentially. Yeah, we're we're uh, we'll be engaging a search firm to do. I mean, we want to do this professionally, and um, I think it's really important um, to have the best person um, come forward. And so we want to ha- cast that net as wide and as far as we possibly can uh, to try to just see who the who the best person out there is that we can um, that we can hire and bring on because it's an important time. I think. Again, not to be the canary in the coal mine here, but this issue isn't going away anytime soon. And I don't intend to let it, by the way, because I think it's that important to the fiscal health of the state. Now, how long are these contracts usually for executive director? 
Um, four years? Four or five years. Yeah. Okay. But the last one, Gary Finley, I think that was his name, he was there for a he really was there long forever. time. He was there forever. I remember interviewing him when I was with the Columbia Daily Tribune in 2007, and he left his position in 2015. So it's very possible for somebody to get the executive director position and have their contract continually remo- uh, renewed if they're doing a particularly good job. But that's definitely something we'll be following because I do agree with you. This is probably one of the most important boards in state government that people should pay attention to. It's billions of dollars and it's real money. <laughs> now, segueing to another fin- financial thing, ever since um, the Senate, uh, the U.S. Senate, gave first round approval to its version of the tax cut proposals uh, or tax changes because there's controversy and the U.S. House had previously voted. Now they're going to conference, but there's a lot of little little provisions, some of them with big impact on the states that are just now trickling out some of the details. As a treasurer, you're having to deal with some of that. And from what I understand, among the impacts is on these uh, the college savings accounts. Do you want to talk about just sort of what the impact is that you're seeing? At least, granted, they haven't done final approvals, so we don't know what might get tossed in or out. But just your take on how Missouri might be affected, at least from your department's sure. perspective. So you've got, obviously, the broad broad tax discussion. Um that uh, that I was out and uh, actually visited with some white, senior White House officials, yeah, including, Lin- including Linda, Linda McMahon, right? You know what? I tweeted this out, by the way, that she was like the ultimate warrior for the American dream. <laughs> and no one, it was like all these WWE and WWF references <laughs> that I thought was really clever. Oh, but I, no, I was, was looking at my time hop today. Today <laughs> is the one-year anniversary of her being nominated to the Small Business Administration. Uh, post. And as many of our listeners know, I am a professional wrestling fanatic. Yes, you are. And I tweeted about this appointment literally a dozen times and made <laughs> so many references to her getting like Stone Cold Stunnered and Tombstone Pile Driver by yeah. Truman State alumni Kane. Yes. And now she's in a position of authority. So. My guess is, though, Jason, like the worlds of politics and wrestling, it's a, it, there's there's not that many people that intersect there. <laughs> well, the president, we're, we're one of the, the president was involved in an angle involving Vince McMahon. That's but right. I, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole. So we're, 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 okay, we're, we're talking we're, about 529s. Yes. yes. So um, in, in both the House and the Senate version, so <clears throat> assuming they get something done, um, this provision will be in the final bill. Um, right now, 529 accounts, which is, is essentially you know, Section 529 of the tax code, allows for people to put money in, um, post-tax dollars essentially, put money into a college savings account. They can deduct those contributions. Um, in Missouri, um, you know, you can do $16,000 a year as a, as a married couple, but you can deduct those from your, from, your ta- from your state taxes and whatever is in that account over, you know, a five or 10 or 15 or 20 year period, the gain isn't taxed, and that's the real tax benefit. So it's a great way for people to plan for college, to save for college. Um, is and the gain taxed when people take it out to pay for college? No, that and that is that's the real benefit. Other than the deduction on the front end of the right. year you make the the contribution, um, but it's that it's when you are able to grow that account over time, you can use that for qualified expenses, tuition, books, all that housing, all that stuff. Um, and that's the real benefit of the program. And it has made, you know, to the extent possible in this environment, it's one of the great ways to make college more affordable and a real focus of our office. Bob Holden was actually the treasurer when this came about. 
It's the most 529 plan. It's very popular. Um, and I'm, as another disclosure, I actually have a most 529 plan, and I have lots of money in it. Continue yeah, there you go. Start. I have two of them So <laughs> from both of my daughters. So it is, um, it's a great way to save um, for college. And so what they've done in, in both the House and the Senate version is that you can use 529 accounts now for K-12 through education. And so that is a big change. That is a big change that would, um, something that I think is great, it's a, it would make um, saving for education in general much more affordable. And so that would kind of expand. Now, we would have to get companion legislation passed in Missouri, essentially. Now, that, um, that money compliant. could go toward private school tuition. Yep. Yeah, it could go to, if you're, if you're sending your kid to CBC or Ursuline or something like that, yeah. But essentially, it's post-tax dollars. So you've already been taxed on what you're making, you know, your paycheck, whatever's left, then you can put in one of these accounts. And I think it's just a great way to, again, empower people, empower families. And it's, it's right now, you can use it for a, a St. Louis University or a private higher ed institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just saying that you want to you mirror that now with K-12. through Now, could you use it for, I mean, public school? I mean, let's say... Yeah, for books. It, yeah, you if, could... Or books. So let's say you want to be in full-day kindergarten and many... Um, districts they do charge for that i'm just yeah that's exactly right um and you know there may be a school for example if your son or daughter has developmental challenges right there may be a school that is a private school that you know you may want to use it for that too now um you know we we can talk about able a little bit too but but yeah it's a it's a big change for the 529 accounts and something that we've been tracking nationally with the national association of state treasurers i think it's great it'd be great for families um so that would definitely be one of our priorities if they get that done uh something that we would be working on with the general assembly next year to get signed uh, and passed in missouri now that whole provision uh at least it has gotten caught up in the abortion debate because initially it was allowing people to set these up before the child was born. Now, from what I understand, the Senate parliamentarian has required that that part to be taken out of the Senate version because it's not considered germane to the That's correct. budget the par- subject in order for them to get, get passed with 51 votes. Right. The parliamentarian ruled that out of order in the Senate version. It's in the House version. Um, so we'll see what they end up with in conference. But yeah, essentially for the listeners, it would allow you to create that 529 um, uh, before the child's born. So if you're, you know, if you're, if you're pregnant at seven months, you could start, you could open the account then. I do want to ask about another part of the tax bill, which I believe you were ta- asked about um, during a press conference in Jefferson City. So my understanding is the standard deduction under this bill would be doubled. And I think that there's some fear that since because you you double the deduction, and I think Missouri has a corresponding deduction for federal taxes. Yes, in my yes. yes. That there is there is a fear that that will cost the state hundreds of millions of dollars, well, possibly a billion a year. Is what some of the now, estimates are. Now, I heard your response basically saying, if economic growth is robust enough, then you may be able to withstand that. And I could be paraphrasing you wrong, mm-hmm. but let's just say under a very rosy scenario where everybody spends their twenty five or three thousand dollars in savings. I can't imagine a scenario where all that money is going to flow back to the state treasury. Some of that's going to go into local sales taxes. Some of it will go into to, to the county coffers. I just don't see a way for the state to make up that money unless they make some pretty major changes to its tax code. I'd like you to, to address that. I know you're not part of the budget process, but since you, you do mm-hmm. – 
we see the numbers. Yeah, you see, see the numbers, and I think that this this is something kind of within your your wheel wheelhouse. I'd like you to respond to sure, that. Sure, and then we can, you know, and I think also probably be appropriate maybe to bring up the economic dashboard, which we're getting well, exactly. some glimpse of what's, what's happening in the economy. But yeah, so Missouri. Um, are we're coupled with the the federal standard deduction. Yes, yes. So whatever that is, that's what your standard deduction is. So in both bills, uh, the House and the Senate version at the federal level, they will double that standard deduction, which I think personally is a is a great thing for families of all, especially low low income earners and middle class families, because back of the envelope arithmetic in Missouri uh, over 75% of Missourians use that standard deduction number and that could rise to maybe somewhere between 90%. So that analysis is ongoing, the impact of the budget is still ongoing, but I think it's a great way um for Missourians to get the biggest tax cut possible. That's my feeling. And look, it's just it's a core belief of mine. Um, I grew up in a family in North St. Louis County, very middle class family. My dad worked seven days a week in the midnight shift um, and took all the shifts that he could possibly get to have as much take home pay as possible. So that's just a core belief of mine. I believe that th- allowing people to keep more of their own money um, spurs economic activity. I'm the, I'm a Jack Kemp Republican uh, very much in that way. And so and people you can have an honest and. Um, robust and respectful conversation with somebody who doesn't believe that. But that's just, that's where I'm at. But I just got to, I guess, follow up. If there's less money available from the state for education, for health care, for transportation because of this, how does that help middle and low low income artists? Well, you're there? assuming we're doing everything at the maximum efficient level, by the way, right? Or that we can't do better in state government as far as how we spend the money. I mean, look, we have a $27 billion budget right now. Yeah, but it, but in fairness, okay, two things. Sure. First, I mean, like over two-thirds of that is federal money. Federal money, it's yep. like pass-through. So, frankly, for our listeners, what you need to know is that the guts of what's spent for state programs that affect you is roughly about $9 billion. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, so the rest of it is stuff that's passed-through for – Medicaid or whatever, and so it's stuff that doesn't. So when you look at that twenty-seven number, you think, "Oh, they ought to be able to find it." Well, no, it's really down to the nine. Now, second, one of the reasons that's good to talk to you about this is because you were basically the chief author author of the tax cut mm-hmm. package that is now affecting state government and starting know, next year. Yeah, starting next year. Joe, I like to say I was country when country wasn't cool. <laughs> so there are some, you know, who are happy with what's happening, some who are concerned that that the state is already going to face some income cuts from that without I mean aside from the the federal thing. Kind kind of how you look how do you look at see things right now? Sure. So uh, and I think the important thing to note on the on the tax cuts and was that 2014, I guess it was 2014. I, I believe it was. Yeah. The 2013, yeah. the 2013 bill, 13 bill didn't pass. The 2014 That's bill. Right. That's did. right. So we, um, yeah, and there's a based on revenue trigger. So essentially, if you want to look at that bill, is revenue growth is given back to taxpayers yes. by way of tax cuts gradually from go from six to five and a half. I would have liked to actually gone further than that, but that's that's where we got to to override the governor. Those opportunities, who knows, they may increase now with the Republican governor, with Governor Greitens. I mean, they may be able to move further on the tax. I mean, that'd be my hope, but I don't know if that's you know on the agenda or not. But the other thing I think that's really important that we did in that bill, that they're now um, – one version of it one way or another is in the federal bill is – 
not just, you know, they talk about lowering the corporate income tax rate. Right. But in Missouri, if you lowered the corporate income tax rate, you never did anything really for the small business owner, the mom and pop shop, the, you know, the um, somebody who starts their business in downtown Kirkwood. I mean, it never did anything because they're pass-through entities. And and I think the term pass-through is sort of a cold term. People don't really understand. But that's essentially, if you're an S-Corp, an LLC, an LLP, how 90% of businesses are organized, essentially. That money from your business flows to your personal income tax return. Um, we lower that. You're gonna, they're going to get a 25% tax cut under what we did in Missouri. And I think the numbers in D.C., they vary, but it's somewhere like a 17% um, tax cut. So that, I think that's a big deal. Like, if you want to spur economic growth and you believe in that flaw, I mean, there are some things that are happening with that bill that um, I think are really, really positive. But to your point, yeah, we did this in Missouri um, uh, and kind of moved the ball forward, and now it's, it's finally happening at the federal level. But we also, I think, launched, and we're going to announce some award from um, this transparency group, but um, we started the first in the country, This, this um, it's called the Economic Dashboard, MissouriDashboard.com. It is a one-stop shop for you to look at all the leading economic indicators that are, you know, what's happening in Missouri. Unemployment rate, for example, is a little bit below the national average. Our labor participation rate, uh, which, by the way, is challenging nationally. You have more people out of the labor force historically than you traditionally see. But our, we're doing a little bit better than the national average. But our exports, for example, are about half, you know, exports to GDP are about half the national average. So it gives you a sense of what's happening, what, what, what conversations we should have in the long term. Um, you can compare county by county college savings rates. There's really interesting data. So we're really focused on the data. How can we synthesize that and lead a discussion? Because this is a really disruptive time economically. I mean, if you think about sort of you had, I mean, in a really broad sense, you had hunter-gatherer for literally tens of thousands of years, then settled agrarian farmer, then industrial revolution, right? Really just the last 150, 160 right. years. The pace of innovation now is dramatic. And if you think about it, right around the time of the Civil War, you had about 85% of the population living on the farm. World War I, you had about 40% of the people living on the farm. In one generation, essentially, one or two generations, the people moving from rural communities to the rise of the city was really dramatic. But it wasn't even as disruptive as people thought, because generally when they got there, they worked at one place for their entire working lifetime. As recently as the Carter administration, people were at one firm. That was my dad's experience. Yes. He was at Anheuser-Busch for 30 years. My uncle, other uncles at Anheuser-Busch for 30 years. Boeing, Southwestern Bill, that's where they worked for their entire working lifetime. Now millennials graduating from college will change careers, not jobs, careers three times before they're 30. So what's the the pace of change is historic we've never done this before so i think it can drive a conversation if we talk about this so the, the really important stuff like what's the role of a community college now is it is it a feeder to a four-year or can they be innovation campuses can we kind of redirect what we do in in the state by the way that figures this out or does it best i should say will be leaps and bounds um, uh, ahead of other states that aren't thinking about these things. So uh, that's the kind of discussion we'd like to drive. This is it's a little more esoteric, I guess, but it's interesting. Hey, that, we're all about we're all that esoteric. esoteric. Is this dashboard <laughs> going to kind of look on a county by county, city by city level, or is it basically going to get kind of a broad sense of how things are going in Missouri? And I ask this because I, sp I spent a lot of time this summer in northeast Missouri. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a political ecosystem that I'm obviously very fascinated with, but I was just struck by 
kind of the, the economic languishment. It, it, I don't think languishment's a word, but that area has been languishing economically for a long time. And I'm curious if this tool can actually look to see which parts of the state are doing better, which it, part are doing worse, and which parts maybe need more more resources and attention to them. It's, it's a great question because <clears throat> what happens is when you lay these maps, which are it's just county by county data, you can yeah. compare at this at one time county by county data. When you lay on top, you know, education attainment rates, uh, unemployment rates, um, poverty level, you know, all that stuff, it starts to tell a story. And what you see is, particularly in southeast and southern Missouri, there's higher levels of poverty than maybe some people realize. Um, And so it can focus some of our efforts or at least lead a conversation. For example, next year, we're going to launch a pilot for 529s where we go into some of the counties and have a really concerted effort in the schools and PTO organizations and engage the communities um, for opening these college savings plans. Because here's what we know. If you open a 529 college savings account, no matter what you where you fall, rich, poor, anywhere in between, the data shows that you're six times more likely to go to college. So. If we can drive that discussion, if we can get more people signed up, and the data really does, you know, begin to tell a story. One of the more interesting books, you know, I know you guys are both, you know, Hillbilly Elegy with J.D. Vance, really, to me, it was it was a very, it was a riveting read because it told the story of, of rural poverty. And, you know, and I think a lot of times we talk about poverty only in urban terms. But yeah, there's it's a very lot, different. It, it's different. And so those challenges, I think understanding what those challenges are and developing creative solutions um, is really important to me. And, and I'm conservative, but I don't think this needs to be overly partisan. You know, there, and, and having, you know, an education system that is adaptable, you know, depending on where you're at. I mean, I don't know why Normandy School District would have a calendar their school calendar based on an agrarian calendar. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe that, but what it shows, what I know and from what I've read in, in the data shows when we did some of these education debates is that in more at-risk communities, the loss of learning in those summer months is much more profound than in more, you know, maybe some more um, less challenging areas because they don't have summer reading programs. So what you have to relearn at the beginning of the school year takes time away. And if you compound that year on year on end, there's kid, there are kids that are um, not having the same opportunities as others. So I just want the, I think the data can drive some of these discussions, and we are wholly engaged in that. And that's something that's really exciting. I love this job. Like, I, I love this job, and I think – if you take on, you guys are laughing, but the no, CFO, no, I'm not laughing. I'm smiling. The CFO role. I mean, you can really. We talk to the governor all the time. I mean, I'm, I've been very impressed by him. We have a great communication with him to, to talk about. You know, what are things we can do to reform state government? State government hasn't really been reformed or reorganized or restructured since Kit Bond's first term. Yeah, I was when OA say that. when OA became a thing. Um, it's been 40 years. So. Why not be a part? You have a kind of a generational turnover. Every statewide elected official that was elected last year is under the age of 45. There's no other state can say that. And if you include the auditor, actually, we have the youngest group of I'm people just, in the executive. I, although Mike Parson looks very young for his age. I don't I, think he's under 45. I said except for one, didn't I? I said except, except for, for one. one. I believe and I didn't is. mention who, but thank you. I'm sure Mike will appreciate. <laughs> he's going to bang the gamble on me next. I do want to touch on one thing that may be less fun part of your job. In fact, uh, former Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder said this was his least favorite thing about being lieutenant governor. That's the Missouri Housing Development Commission. And I mentioned this, you have a vote on this commission. They just voted to basically stop low-income housing tax credits on a state level from being issued. I believe you were one of the dissenting votes on that. I want you to just briefly explain 
why you did that. Well, I actually voted against the issuance um, on state and federal then on that because I felt like there's so much conversation happening with the federal tax code. Mm-hmm. Um, because, for example, the 4% go away in one of those versions. So I felt like there's enough swirling here that— You mean you mean the, that the federal— Low-income tax credits go away in one of the versions. Is yeah, there's a nine percent and there's four percent. Right, not right. to get it too into the weeds, but yeah, there's so there's some changes there. So I thought that um, that we could take a little time to do it. But look, I respect, I I appreciate the governor trying to drive uh, an agenda for change here. I was a part of that in the Senate. I mean, I think they're going to continue in the legislature to have these conversations. That program, there are opportunities for reform, and I would hope that what's happened here recently might spur some of those conversations. I mean, because. Granted, I mean, without getting into all the, I mean, the everyone agrees there has been some problem, regardless whether you're a backer or not, that there are some issues with the program. But that said, if you make it so it's not there, it means that there's no really new efforts for low-income housing. So are there alternatives that you would recommend since you're on the board? Or do you think there's going to be discussion on alternative ways to encourage I do. I think low-income housing? I think there will be. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately it's a program that's, you know, that's set in statute. I think there's going to be those conversations. Um, but look, I mean, I think the governor's come in and said, look, we want to do some things differently and, and look at how we, you know, um, do things. And, and you talk about tax credits. I mean, it, 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 some of those decisions made in the 90s, not just on pensions, but on tax credits, have a lot to do with kind of where we're at, too. So I think Correct. it's a program that is uh, is ripe for reform, and I'm hoping that people can get together and, that, and work that's on That's mainly a legislative effort. That's pr- you're probably thankful that you don't have to do that by fiat. Um, in the last five or six minutes, I do want to touch a little bit on politics. You made a little bit of news a few months ago when you continued your trend of not running for election every two years, but every four years. <laughs> yeah, because you had been encouraged to look at the Senate race. Yeah, when when uh, when Ann Wagner decided that she wasn't running for the Senate, um, received some phone calls. I went out to D.C. I met with uh, Cory Gardner, Senator Gardner from Colorado, NRSC folks, and and some other people, and uh, it was um, it was humbling, and I certainly appreciated the encouragement. Um, um, but I, you know, decided that it, it wasn't the right time for me to do that. And I'm supporting Josh Hawley for that seat. Um, I've gotten to know Josh. I think he's a good candidate. I think he's going to win. And I'm going to do everything I can to help him get there. Do you think that he has accomplished enough as attorney general in just less than a year to deserve a promotion to the U.S. Senate? Because I could make an argument in your case, and this may be like damning you with faint praise, but you have an eight plus year record in the legislature. You could point to a number of major accomplishments that you've done. And while I would agree with you and anybody that Josh Hawley was an excellent political candidate last year, he he hasn't really compiled a huge record that you could point to to say, this is why I deserve to be in the Senate. I'd be, I'd be interested in your take on that. And obviously, that'll be a question I pose to him in the next year. Right. No, I, I think, look, I think Josh would be a, a great U.S. Senator. Um, and I think he has a, he's a good temperament. He's a smart guy. I've gotten to know him. I, I like Josh a lot. Um, you know, and, and I think he's doing a good job as attorney general. I think the bigger question probably is, does Claire McCaskill deserve another term? And when you, you know, you vote against Judge Gorsuch, um, she's been a no on some of these tax reform measures. Um, I just I think that's out of step with where Missouri is. And so ultimately, look, the voters are going to decide this. Um, who knows what kind of year 2018 is? Well, in is fact, that's be. what I was going to ask you, because you're a little bit of a political animal. You and I have talked about, you know, just kind of looking at it analytically. I mean, what I've been hearing is that, A, that the president in Missouri, while he's more popular here than in some other states, that he's like kind of right around the high 40s. This is what I've been hearing. 
And this is from Republicans, according to some poll numbers. Um, now, McCaskill's down there, too, so it's not like she's at 50 or 60 either. But my point being that the, and there are some that show that the tax proposals aren't doing that well with the general public. I'm told that the GOP isn't polling strong in the suburbs, which, as you and I know, are the ones that decide elections in the state. I'm just kind of interested in your take on maybe what issues the party needs to highlight. Can they make it just anti-McCaskill um, or anti-Nicole Galloway? I mean, are there stuff that you need to be emphasizing as you make your case? Yeah, I th- look, that that's who I am. And uh, and you know this. I mean, my first race many moons ago in the, in the Senate uh, was very much a swing district in St. Louis County. I won by 10. Obama won my district by 8. So I do think you need to make a case. I don't think it's enough to be just against someone or something. Um, I think it's important for candidates to articulate who they are and why they're running. I, I think that you, you're going to have a stark contrast, though, of, uh, again, choose the deciding vote on Obamacare, not popular in Missouri. I think this tax cut, I think, is going to provide real relief for, for middle-class Missourians and small businesses. I think Gorsuch, I think the Supreme Court, I can tell you I spent a lot of time with Roy Blunt last cycle uh, in 2016 as we went around the state. And that, the issue as it relates to the Supreme Court, um, and the Senate plays a role in this, was yes, really for the big. base. And you it's could feel important. it. It's it's interesting running statewide. It's a big state. You know, um, Kennett, Missouri, I think I've said this, is closer to the Gulf of Mexico than it is to Tarkio, Missouri. Yes. So it is a big <laughs> state. Um, but you, it's what's, as just as a life experience, culturally, forget about politics, to go around the state and to be at the, the rodeo in Sykeston and then get to Joplin and then be in Maryville and then Kirksville. They all have it. We're Missourians. It's a unique state. And I'm reading this seven volume history. You would love this. The history of Missouri that I'm right now in the middle of the Civil War where we actually had um, a government in exile. And if it wasn't for the the, the St. Louis Germans that had recently yes. immigrated, we would have been a Confederate state. Who's so anyway, the author of that book? So it's a number of different authors okay. that the, that the okay. Historical Society, which I serve on, which there's a lot of boards. I'm not qual- like I, I don't think I should be on the Arts Council, probably, but I'm on the Earth. But the State Historical Society, I, I love being on sure. that board. But um, but no, I think that, you know, you got to feel that Supreme Court issue the last couple of weeks of the campaign. Had, there was a lot of energy behind yeah, it. And that. I think that that, you know, in 2018, that's going to matter, too. But I, just as a parting thought, as somebody who has followed the senator, Senator McCaskill around the state quite a bit, and Joe has as well. She's a very effective retail politician. Like I saw her work a room in Bowling Green, Missouri earlier this year, which is a state that went or a county that went almost 70 percent for Donald Trump. And while I think that the crowd was overwhelmingly Democratic, uh, I thought that she came across fairly effectively. My question is, as somebody who has run statewide recently and won pretty decisively, do you think that Republicans should take McCaskill as a retail campaigner as seriously as possible and not just go on Supreme Court or issues, you actually have to organize and, and run a particularly effective campaign. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's a tough competitor. I'm not taking anything away from her in that regard. I'm just saying, I think if you look at the issues and match it up now, she's got enough votes that are, are so far out of step that I think if Missourians are, are fully aware of that uh, sort of contrast, I think they'll make the decision to send Josh Hawley to the U.S. Senate. But I don't take her lightly at all. And she's 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 won statewide before, several, you know, a bunch of times. So I don't take her lightly at all. I think it's just going to mean that uh, people are going to have to work really hard to get uh, to get Josh elected. Well, we want to thank you again for breaking another barrier on on the show. You are the 
first person, as I mentioned on the outset, to be on the show five times. He was actually our first, first guest. guest when we started having now, guests. I, I joke I, with you that, that the first 14 uh, declined the invitation, <laughs> and I was... Now, <laughs> I, and I just got to say this as a parting thought. I, I got a text from somebody within your office about the a person who's been on the show four times, Senator Scott Sifton. Apparently, he was the president of something at Truman State while you were the treasurer That's at true. Truman State. That's true. We were State. on student senate together. That How is crazy. So when I, when I was in college, uh, I, it is cra- my wife, I tell my wife, though, that like she knew what she was getting into because mm-hmm. we met in college and we got married when I was in law school. But I played football and baseball for a couple years up there. I was on student senate. Um, I did, you know, I founded a Habitat for Humanity chapter. I mean, I was like, I was, I was involved. But yeah, Scott and I knew each other. We would joke about that. We were in the Missouri Senate together after yeah. having done yeah. something. Now, the issues that we were On tackling. sides. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, issue. it says right here he was president, and there's rumors that he's going to run for governor. So it's not out of the question out of, I'm sure you don't want this to happen, <laughs> but if you get reelected treasurer and he becomes governor, it's basically like your student senate where... That's, I'm not going to go there. I'm, in any case, for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how would people follow you on Twitter? Eric underscore Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-T-T. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. But I know it's not forever. Maybe be the class clown. I'll be the beauty queen in tears. It's a new art form showing people out in the wheelchair. Let's go down to the tennis court.